This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, this is Dr. Drew, and you are listening to This Life with Bob Forrest and Dr. Drew. Here we are. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, gather around the radio, turn it up, it's Bob and Drew. What, what is this next uh, millennial generation going to call the radio? Because it's <laughs> not really phone. a radio. Yeah. <laughs> gather around your phone. You oh know, I goodness. tell you, I live with five of them. They sit and watch TV on their phones yeah. on Wi-Fi, and it's dragging my Wi-Fi down so I can't eBay shop. Is not a bad thing. That's two generations right there, Noah. We got my friend Noah here. But first, you have to say who sponsors our show. Uh, Rocky Mountain Rehab. Rocky Mountain Treatment Center. Rocky Mountain Treatment Center. See, we're going to rename them Rocky Mountain Rehab. Because they have Rocky.Rehab website. But it's a good place up in Montana. It's solid. Check them out. We've we've vetted them, and they're supporting us, and we uh, can get behind them with good conscience. And I'm going up there, and it's going to get me a free trip to Montana. But, uh, yeah, if you're struggling there in an abstinence-based program, do not expect replacement therapies. It's the real old-fashioned stuff that Bob and I like. So Yeah, yeah and if you're, in the, if you're in the Rocky Mountains, you can't run away. Well, that's part of the allure, <laughs> right? Get up there and stay up there for a while. Have you ever been up there? There's like yeah. two towns of like 50,000 people and then just mountains. Yeah, that's the last west. I told you I went to it. Yellowstone Club to stay for a week after three days. Oh, did you I stay? Started, I started driving down into whatever that big town is to see what was going on. Billings? Yeah, no, it's, Bill, uh, Billings. Uh, no, it's uh, uh, the other one with the airport. Yeah. What the hell? Where do we fly into? Yeah, it begins with a B, I thought. Bozeman. Bozeman. Bozeman, yeah. Yeah, I drove Which into Bozeman just to is, go to thrift way. shopping and see what was going the on. Treatment center is near Bozeman. Because skiing and tea by the lodge is not my thing (laughs) (laughs) all right but now introduce noah noah levine guy invented a certain passion passionate uh approach to treating addiction with buddhism i mean that's it in a nutshell but what i really think you do noah is introduce kids to a purpose and meaning which they don't have or even that they converse about what is existence. I don't think a lot of times until they get to you, they've even thought what is existence, right? Yeah, I mean, it depends. I think a lot of people that are coming through refuge recovery are um, people with long-term recovery already, people that have been in the 12 steps for 10, 15, years. go to the meditation thing, right? Not well, the no, treatment. They're, they're, well, not treatment, but they're coming to the refuge meetings because they want to learn, they, because they have these questions like what what is existence, how, uh, you know, the 12 steps told me to meditate, but I didn't really get any good mindfulness or meditation instructions. So there's a, there's a real mixture. Of course, in the treatment, yes, it's, it's people who are brand new. Because we're a Buddhist treatment center, 
culture. Um, you know, we're getting people, some people who've been practicing Buddhism for years. Oh, wow, interesting. And, uh, you know, reading the books and, you know, philosophically aligned with And they it. develop alcoholism? But they're, actually, <laughs> it's a little bit surprising when you think about it, but there's been a lot of actually even famous Buddhist alcoholics, like Alan Watts. Alan who was Watts, that, like, yeah. Wonder, and womanizer, raging, too. Raging alcoholic. Like, yeah. And there's all of these other Zen masters and that were like raging alcoholics. But, well, but I've is that, heard, but I love, but wait, wait, wait. Yeah. I just love that when alcoholics do that. You know, they, they, they shroud, they, they put a front up that allows them to continue their bullshit. Sure, it's just they're awesome. all this wisdom. So they're spouting the wisdom. So oh, he good. was the best. But they're Alan not practicing Watts. it. We would argue maybe Bill W. got in a little bit. Well, too here's the thing the there's there. a lot no? of. No, am I right? What? Bill, Bill W. Yeah, at the end there, guys. Yeah, yeah, womanizing for sure. But here's the thing. The Buddhist monks from Roshi's place in Mount Baldy, they're they like hugging young girls. I don't know if you've ever been around some of them. Uh-oh. They they hang out in Malibu at Sun Life Health Food Store. Yeah, and they they love to hug young girls. I don't know what How that's about. I mean, like, I don't know. like twenty uh, something, okay. but I mean they're young, like young adults. They're not... like sixty. Uh. I mean, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not so familiar with that sangha, that Buddhist community, yeah. and I don't know how how far down the track we want to go with this conversation. <laughs> but um, you know, he but was, it's spiritual piety covering up. Well, and that uh, that teacher, that teacher, um, notoriously actually sexually, um, you know, abused his students. Oof. So often when there is that sort of uh, lin- <sighs> you know, kind of uh, almost incest in the you know because the the spiritual teacher is the dad. Yeah. And then he does it to his students, and it creates a whole culture. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we've seen that in many different um, communities where it's like, well, the teacher, you know, the, the, the Roshi was doing it. And so then, like you're saying, I, I'm not so aware of yeah. the monks that you're talking about, but it's not uncommon when the leader does that it's and a, then just, the followers yeah. do it too. It's just a cult manifestation yeah. in, a, in a different setting. Yeah, or, or a family. Or, yeah. but, you know, or a, but is a seeker, you're recovering, right? So a, a seeker, yeah, right, yep. Aren't aren't all addicts seekers? What are we seeking? That's what I've always wondered. What am I seeking? I'm seeking seem, wholeness yeah, that is relief, wholeness that is like. inside me. The emptiness is inside me. Yeah, and I go outward and try to fill that infinite hole with substances or changing mood or money, property, and prestige, and it doesn't work. And I think that's where people end up with you in the temple. In yeah, the meditation I mean, in classes. the meditation. I mean, I, I would kind of even back up and just say, like, everyone's seeking happiness, not just the people that are addicts. Like, everyone, like, that's just our survival. Like, we're all looking for happiness. Whatever Some that of is. us, like like me and you, Bob, turn to drugs and alcohol <laughs> as the source and it to works kill really the pain good. <laughs> and to, you know, kind of give well, some, some false sense of, of happiness. I, I would argue that there are two different urges, drives. One is to avoid the pain, which is, you know, it's, it's a treat the pain, deal with the pain, manage the pain, escape the pain. And the other is to find happiness. Uh, but I don't think we even understand what happiness is. We don't even understand the word. It's not euphoria. Right. Well, we confuse happiness with pleasure. Yeah. Isn't 100%. it more like contentment? Aren't we talking about contentment? Well, it gets it can get more complicated, right? Happiness can be a lot of things. Uh, I, I might have some sort of definition around the ease or the ability to be at ease, whether life is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Now, so that's, that that's no matter a, what's happening, that's definitely a Buddhist. A, a thing. Way to I be think we're a society ease. that's not cool with neutral. I think no. we can. We kind of expect. We expect 
the yin and the yang, but we don't expect the neutral. Well, we don't know what to do when things are neutral. And I teach, you know, with my kids, like most days, nothing happens. You know, you and I parallel a lot. I'm I'm outside the norm of 12-step stuff. I say, you know, you got to get used to like most days, nothing happens. Not You don't feel complete joy and orgasm and you're not miserably suicidal. Most days you just go and do what you do and that's it. Well, the word I like, and it's a little bit on the on the off the neutral button a bit. I, I like the word flourishing. Does that fit? Um, I, I mean, I like the word flourishing too. It brings to mind lots of different uh, kind of growth and and, and every person could establish and, for themselves what that is. Yeah. And, and I, I do, in your philosophy, is the other an important part of? Uh, other people yeah yeah i mean absolutely um i think a lot of you know what we're doing in refuge recovery which is really traditional buddhist practice that you know establishes mindfulness and ethical way of being uh the development of compassion is uh, is from the inside out um it's a little bit like in the 12 steps of um you can't give away what you don't have uh, but also, if you don't give it away, you can't keep it. Right. So I think that Buddhism also has that kind of sense of uh, you first have to establish an inner uh, compassion and an inner well-being in order to really give it away, in order to really be of service and consider and have compassion and forgiveness for others. Does that inner, I guess I think you used your word well-being, does that come from connection? There's there's both. So, um, so refuge uh, is... Uh, there's three um, three refuges traditionally. One is your own potential for recovery, that the individual human being has the potential to heal what needs to be healed mm-hmm. in order to recover. Okay. The second is the actions that will lead to that recovery, um, the path, the practice. The third is the community, is the relationships. And uh, personally, I, you know, I'll often see addiction as some level of uh, attachment disorder. For sure. And Bob it's and going been, to be you, the you know community. Know did you know he was going to say that? No. Yeah. When I say connection, for sure the attachment mechanism is part of it. And, and I was wondering if you were also going to include connect to self. Yes. Because that's the big disconnect. And that's what meditation is. Yeah. You know, you turn inward and you reconnect to yourself and, yeah. and maybe even reparent yourself when you're doing loving kindness, compassion, forgiveness phrases. You're actually saying to yourself, which all of the stuff that you didn't hear and need to hear in your own inner voice. So it's a deep inner connection. And then once that is established on some level, bringing it into the relationships that, that we're in, into the community. And you mentioned the ethical way of life. Is that what you said? Ethical, yeah. It, what's difference between that and the rigorous honesty that's asked of recovering people generally um uh similar yeah similar. Uh, honesty in buddhism we talk about um speech and communication in a way that is honest um appropriately timed um coming from a wholesome intention we talk about honesty as far as not stealing um we've been talking about unwholesome intentions in your son lately mm-hmm. How do you deal with unwholesome intentions? Um, uh, you mean just like a general, the general thing? Yeah, yeah. Is there anger some... and lashing out be the right. number one ways. Of is the, is there sort of a philosoph or do you have a philosophy for dealing with intense negative emotions that motivate action? From the individual that's experiencing yeah. them, or the individual that's getting experiencing. bombarded by them. Exper- well, let's go both ways. <laughs> right, that's right. interesting. Yeah, because uh, oftentimes it's the same person at one time or another, right? right. So, I mean, so part of the, um, 
I guess part of the mindfulness, is, you know, if the person is involved, is, is willing to be mindful, there's going to be present time awareness of the unpleasant internal experience that's leading to that uh, um, afflictive yeah. emotion that is anger, that is uh, jealousy, that is rage, whatever it is. So with mindfulness, there's turn towards it, feel it, right? Rather than just ignoring it or avoid it. Or acting it, it out. Feel it. And then um, learn to tolerate it without, you know, acting. And ultimately learn to have compassion for it. And to have, it's part of the ethical part, which is renunciation. Is it compassion for yourself as somebody suffering from that feeling or compassion for who you're focused on? I mean, both? you know, Buddhism just says anytime anything is unpleasant, internally or externally, the appropriate response to that un, that painful un, is compassion. Yeah. And so we develop that from the inside, and we say, okay, how can I be present with? And I know for myself, I heard that early on, you know, 28 years ago when I started meditating, but I was filled with anger and hatred. And they said, be compassionate. I started meditating and got sober, and uh, but I couldn't do it. And so what it, in the beginning, so I had this idea of be compassionate. So in the beginning, I could just tolerate it. Sitting still in meditation for 30 minutes or an hour taught me how to, taught me tolerance. I couldn't care about it yet, but then I went from tolerance to mercy. And I like the idea of mercy. Mercy definition is um, to not cause harm in a situation where you have power to cause harm. And and so not not quite compassionate. Compassion is I actually care about it. There's sort of a tenderness and a, a, um, a tending to it. But going from um, the place of I hate pain to I can tolerate it to I'm not I'm going to be merciful. I'm not going to by pushing by uh, resisting you know aversion to unpleasantness. That in, in our field you know our way of thought is uh, suffering equals pain plus resistance. So uh, mercy mm. is pain, no resistance. Giving into it. And then compassion is when you actually care for it, when you're actually meeting it with that tenderness of and care. And don't you think, because you and I have talked about different problems with the 12-step world or with the rehab world, one of the things that I really, I think, was destructive to me was teaching me coping strategies before me understanding where this stuff was coming from. So it's all, I call it the tricks of AA. Right, so if I'm angry, um, do a trick, go to a meeting, pray, get rid of well, the anger, rather go, than go to the core somebody. of where the anger's yeah, but, coming but from. I, I hear a lot of from addicts though saying that it helped them just to a act as if, or and b just focus on living a certain kind of life, and that internally things corrected. That's not true. I I, I, are, I, my I, partner, I haven't seen that. Barry Blum s- preached still, that to me. I know, but he's still one of the angriest guys in the world. Not <laughs> <laughs> about the world, but he's still got some anger. Uh, you know what I mean? It's, you didn't know what, before, though. What, co- what coping strategies do is keep you from lashing out yeah. and redirect you. But but the problems, the really core issues of where the anger comes from, emptiness or lostness or trauma, that is... That's much more difficult. And well, I think and, that's a lifetime journey. Well, let's, and, let's and, put it in the frame of attachment because you and I have talked about that for years, right? Yeah. Right? How does it become distilled down to attachment for you? Because that's not a, I don't think that's a Buddhist idea. Well, it's a I mean, psychological I mean, I, principle. It, right? It's a psychological principle, but I feel like the fact that the Buddha uh, made what we call Sangha or community fellowship one of the three kind of pillars of the practice. I, I would argue this, the second being attaching to self. 
Yeah, well, so and I think that mi- yeah, that mindful, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that it's I, he really he didn't use that language, yeah. and even the term attachment is uh, d- um, problematic for Buddhists because there's so much focus on non-attachment, yeah, letting go, letting huh. go, letting go, letting go. Mm-hmm. Anytime you're attached to an so how do you reconcile that? I've, I've often wondered how they reconcile that um, connection. It's just semantics. And I, I've sometimes said, I wish John Bowlby would have called it a connection theory rather than attachment theory, because that's what he was really talking about, is connecting with others, connecting with ourselves. Mm-hmm. Attachment is this um, image of clinging. And well, because of all the ambivalence and stuff. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so I think well, the way that I reconcile it is they don't thinking em- about connection. They don't emphasize, uh, when it's kind of glossed over, the ability to attach and detach Right. They miss the and going and coming. Yes. And, and repair too. So connectedness isn't we're connected. We're we'll reconnect. We're disconnecting and we'll reconnect. Or that there's yes. you know, this ability to be with present and I, as opposed to be stuck in the same attachment style in all things at all times. And I think technology creates a new form of attachment we still don't understand is we can know where everybody is all the time and talk to them in a split second. We get the comp- impulse to talk to somebody. We can text them a st- and, you know, where, what are you doing? This kind of, in- it, it seems like connection, but it's really not. Well, you know, um, you know, Bob was asking about the, um, his own experience or, or about, um, uh, I forget what you call them, kind of coping mechanisms. Yeah, yeah. Tricks. Which, tricks. I just call them the tricks. tricks. Which, um, personally, I feel like, you know, a lot of what the 12 steps teach about, like, you know, be of service to others. If you're having a hard time, like, get a newcomer and help them. Yeah, yeah. They're avoidance techniques, which personally I think are brilliant for people in early recovery when, you know, that craving, that afflictive emotion might lead to a relapse. I think it's good advice. In the beginning, it's good advice, and it, it, I think, like Drew, like you said, it might save lives. It might give people the space to stay clean, stay sober. In the long run, when you you know people five, ten years into recovery, and they're still doing that, they're still avoiding their emotions, and they're not connecting to their emotions. They don't have an inner relationship. Every time something difficult happens, they say, "Oh, let me avoid that." And then they actually haven't turned towards the pain that's underneath the anger, right? And then, like you said, these very angry, sober people, it's, it, really it's just there's sadness, there's, there's pain, there's some trauma under there that hasn't been addressed, partially because some of the recovery techniques, the tricks taught them not to feel it. They even said, oh, it might be dangerous, right? Re- anger, it will lead to relapse. But actually, if we don't feel our anger and we right. don't feel the pain that's fueling the anger, we're actually just as likely to kind of not stay clean. So because, you're talking about what I just call full recovery. Yes. I call that a full recovery yeah. when people not just are not using, but they want to really regain a flexible, regulated whole self absolutely and flourish yeah that's my thing and what happens but what happened in my case at the eight-year point i was full of anger and fear and big shotism and no one questioned me because i was bob the eight-year sober guy that the meeting's at his house and sponsors nine guys it wasn't until an interpersonal relationship ended that i imploded and led me to therapy I, I actually went to Buddhism first with Shenzhen Young. And I got to tell you about attachment. I, I wish I would have known you then. That was 20, 20, 15 years ago. 
you know how they're teaching non-attachment, non-attachment. Well, I was not even enlightened enough at, I think it was five years sober when I started, to even understand attachment with people. I was mostly just attached to material things and basketball. And well, that's how that's, my mind part, thought. Yeah, it's part of the disorder and the narcissism. Yeah, all this and so, so when, when rules didn't apply to Shenzhen and, and his teachers, but applied to me and the students that was like I'm, i can't go down this road i'm i'm that's I'm, your that's your antisocial stuff again. yeah the <laughs> rules you know, were you different. know this story drew <laughs> no, he, really. he went he went on a meditation <laughs> retreat yeah you're supposed to be Bob, silent Bob, everybody's silent Bob went on a <laughs> silent meditation retreat yeah. and he was pissed that the <laughs> teachers weren't being silent <laughs> And so then he kind of threw the whole thing out, like this is corruption. But Bob, that's the man the, trying the, to keep but, me down. But what was the teachers that were is... actually at, you were on retreat; they were at work. <laughs> <laughs> they were teaching a retreat. That's their job. So, so, but I had already been contemplating for years. My, am I following a path that I really can't succeed at? Which is, I don't want to not be attached. And if somebody could have explained attachment differently, like it's just semantics, it's yeah. just connection. Well, connection is, is the word. I, funny, I, I started with the word connection when I was thinking about these things and trying to communicate it to people. That, that's the word I used all the time. Well, there's this confusion too, is that, and sometimes you might even, sometimes they say detachment. And even in, like in Al Anon, they say detach with love. And we know what they're talking about. But if, um, if our really viewers, if our better. viewers could, or our listeners could see us, I would do this thing with my hands where I would, um, cl- you know, clasp yeah. my hands and say, that's attachment when you're actually holding on now the problem with attachment is that everything and everyone is impermanent every experience and every is changing so when you're attached to something you suffer the rope burns of clinging to something that is impermanent that is changing and then we hear non-attachment or we hear detachment and we separate from because we say oh that hurt when i was like when i was clinging hurts so now i'm going to be detached and that's almost like a dissociation where i'm going to disconnect from i'm going to avoid the ideal, and if the listeners could see, I would put my hands together in almost like a prayer position and say, this is non-attachment, connected, touching, embracing the experience, understanding that it's impermanent. It's changing. Non-attachment is connection. So, it's not detached. So help us, help us teach our listeners and what I'm trying to do now. When you have a 20-something adult child who's on drugs, threatening suicide, just really wants to have their way as a parent what do you do how do you reassure them that what they're doing and playing into that melodrama that they've been playing into for years and years doesn't work and to detach because as a clinician drew and i talk about a lot to recommend that they detach and the kid god forbid dies who are they going to blame right you know what i mean right the people who recommended that they detach right and so that, what do you say to your parents? It, um, you know, it, I have the same question. I have the, I'm in the same conversation all of the time. Um, you know, there's some Buddhist teachings that I, that come to mind, but then I honestly, even though I've been studying and practicing Buddhism for a long time, I'm hesitant to hide behind, you know, kind of pithy teachings around it mm-hmm. because the truth is it's just heartbreaking and, uh, we're going to make mistakes sometimes. And sometimes, um, you know, there's going to be too much, too, too strong of a boundary. Um, 
One of the things that comes to mind for me is, uh, and I was listening to your last show and the person talking about how do young people get clean. And I, so I reflect on an experience that I had. I got sober when I was 17 years old, wow. sitting in juvenile hall, three felonies, <sighs> strung out on crack and heroin and drinking alcoholically, like, but very young. Yeah. And I, got, I ended up getting sober and starting to meditate and doing all of that. Years later, when I was sober, and my father, Stephen Levine, he's a fairly famous writer and meditation teacher, and um, and I, I and I kind of confronted him years later. I was like, because when I was fifteen, I left home, mm-hmm. and he let me, and he emancipated me, and he just said, "Go." That sounds like what Drew would do. He, just, he said, <laughs> he, and he basically <laughs> just said, "You want to be an adult? Go, yeah, go with love, kind of." Yeah. And um, later, I was like, I was a teenage junkie you just let me go live on the streets and you know you just let me and you emancipated me so you wouldn't be legally responsible for my actions yeah. well he probably said it was it was very painful for him i'm sure what what he said was he said it could have been a huge mistake but my best thinking at the time was if i let you go with love you'll stay in contact and when you're ready i'll be able to help you mm-hmm. if i say you can't go and i because i actually said to him why don't you send me to rehab you know, all my other friends were getting sent to rehab. <laughs> Visions and <laughs> why Malibu. Didn't you, why didn't you send me to rehab? <laughs> he said, I knew or I thought that if I sent you to treatment, I would never hear from you again. Hmm. You know, that you would just, you know, that that would be it for our relationship. He said, I thought that if I well, let if you go with. he insisted that you go at 15 years old, yeah. you would never, yeah. you would hate him for, yeah. So um, it worked out. In my case, it worked out where he kind of kept this loving connection no you know no money no no help but the but a relationship was, once in a was, while he wouldn't there. get you a motel room or give you some money for no. food no not even <laughs> once in a while no nothing i tell parents do what you do what you can yeah. you know if you can live with yourself nothing but i also wasn't asking for anything because i was really convinced that i oh, was an you know adult. our kids ask was, for know, everything yeah i wasn't asking for anything i was a punk rocker i was in the squats i was you know on the streets i was where, where I was, are the kids like that i Drew? wasn't i wasn't looking that for leave at 15 and ask for nothing i i swore i was an adult They're in hollywood you find them <laughs> <laughs> go down there right now but at 17 when i was in juvie and i was desperate yeah. and he said do you want to learn meditation your and dad I, did? my dad yeah my dad was my first he taught me meditation and i said well you know dad i could use a lawyer or something <laughs> <laughs> how about some real help i've got another felony here i'm gonna get i'm in big trouble um and, like he, he's, and he said stories he yeah. said bring mindfulness to your breath and when i did that i was like oh i i never realized before that i could ignore my mind my mind gave me such bad advice and told me to drink and use and steal and fight and and I had obeyed it the first half of my life. And then when I started to meditate, you know, I saw as they say in in recovery that my what a bad neighborhood I was living in in my mind, but that I could actually ignore it and come back to the breath. Not not, you know, for only a, a couple of seconds at a time. So I learned that mindfulness, uh, you know, uh, avoidance technique mm-hmm. right from the beginning and it was so useful. Also because when I got into recovery and they said prayer, pray, that didn't make sense to me. I was too hard, too much of a atheist to, you know, like uh, praying didn't make sense, but meditation did make sense because I had an experience of it. How is prayer different than meditation? Particularly with say somebody early recovering? Um, it might have it might have a similar effect of of, of some relief, 
but I'm a little bit too intellectual or philosophical where, you know, prayer is asking for an external power to re- remove or relieve or comfort or, and I just didn't believe in that. Right. I think it's, know, it's to, just getting out of your head. Not, yes. not relying on your head for the solution. And later, actually, a couple years in, um, I got the humility to say, I'm going to work the 12 steps thoroughly. Um, and I started praying, and I did the third step and the seventh step, and I did it, and I didn't, I didn't believe at all. And I don't think I ever did the second step, right, because I never came to believe that a power greater than myself was going to restore me to sanity. I don't, you started with that, though. Well, not, By a, just not knowing an external. You sh- shut your mind yes, off. You yes. know, that's, or not, uh, not, not shut it off. Step away from it. Step away from it, yeah. And I did, for sure. The power of spiritual practice, the power of that stuff, for sure, but not God, not the theistic. I think think the whole idea of a theistic thing misses the point entirely. Well, then why do they use it? Because that's a language people understand. I I spend most of the time deconstructing that language for people. I I think most of it, of what, what they're talking about, is this spiritual place between people. Yeah, That's mostly what they're talking about, I think. I, I hope so, and I think that, you know, especially now 80 years later with yeah. all of the psychology and all of the education that we have, the 12-step rooms, you know, are very rarely uh, so fundamental. But when you really look at the original text, it's pretty clear. Some people need that They're still. talking about God. Some people know? like that. Yeah, they and, and that it works. Well, we're in a Christian well, nation. Of so course, it, it works well. <laughs> also, you, you maybe would appreciate this as a Buddhist, too, is that, is that people, when they experience, I mean, I think, I think for instance, that when the Greeks talked about gods like Athena and this one, that, that, I think they were just I, emotions that felt to them like they were outside of them and came into them. When Athena came in or or Zeus. Dionysus came in, I got drunk. Well, I, uh, it came from the outside. It's a very primitive way. Of, and people are still that way, I think. And so when it, they have these profound experiences, it feels like it came from somewhere else. And so they want to give it a name and a, and a relationship with it and stuff, and they're fine. Yeah, it's fine. What, what meaning do we assign to things? Yeah. And Buddhism, we do it all the time, too. We assign meaning. Yeah, we say, oh, well, this is karma, or this is, yeah. you know, like, yeah, we assign meaning. The humans to. are meaning-making creatures. That's Absolutely. it. That's so what we all are. religion, all spiritual. That's what we're doing right now is trying to make meaning of stuff. You know, now, I, I think I have some uh, desire that led me to addiction, that led me to punk rock, that, that led me to Buddhism. Is I actually want to know what the truth is. Okay. So, I, I, and I, not just, I, you know, not just have, what, what I personally have no hope. I have no hope. <laughs> <laughs> so, let me know when you get there. I, I don't believe that's possible, but, but it's but My, I, friend, oh, my gonna, friend Pete Weiss believes that we actually, the DNA that we don't know enough about it is the thing driving it, and we're just the hosts of it. That's L. Ron Hubbard. His <laughs> that's his thing. That's his theory. That's their deal. The, the host of the DNA evolving. That the DNA so that, is no, some no, no, alien creature that no, insert no, no, itself no, into us. It's not an alien creature. It's Stephen Hawking's idea. And that the DNA is. is heading towards a convergence oh, with technology that the hosts <laughs> create. That's the, the, the singularity he's talking about. It could be. It should <laughs> be. I mean, there might be some. What happened uh, to you, Bob? <laughs> no, it's saying my friend Pete believes that. You're much better as an antisocial. My friend Pete believes that. But, I mean, biological evolutionary, you yeah, know, like kind yeah. of just evolution. And of course, you know, we have just evolved from this planet. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Let's, let's throw but, some but wait, world wait, wait, events. Wait, 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 wait. Because I want to go back to truth. Is truth. Does truth end up being just a feeling? Sort of a feeling state? Because I could see fee- truth being a feeling makes sense to me or a state of being or something. But to understand truth in a 
in cognitive way, right. hopeless. Well, I, I mean, one of the things I like about the Buddha is that uh, he would say, okay, here's some, here's like impermanence. That is truth with a capital T. Yeah. It is happening. Yeah. Everything is changing. I think. Any, right? I, I, well, to the extent that my <laughs> primitive little brain will yeah. allow that. Maybe sure. time is, I don't know, right. expands and contracts and but things then, will happen again or eternal recurrence. I don't know. So, But, th- but then when he was asked for... Um, like cosmological or even uh, religious questions, theistic questions, he would say, I'm not going to answer that. I'm not going to, because that's not actually useful. Buddha said, I only want to teach you what's causing suffering in your life, the clinging, the aversion, the lack of compassion, the lack of wisdom. And I want to teach you how to end suffering in the human life. And, uh, you know, and that's why I've made refuge recovery, because the cause of human suffering is repetitive craving just like the alcoholic just like the addict so like buddhism is this perfect treatment plan for addicts and alcoholics would would, would repetitive desire or repetitive attraction fit the same thing as a repetitive craving well i think that there has to be a distinction between craving and desire because the promise is you can end craving uh. And if you say and desire, it's not possible, right? Because no, no. uh, I, I like words like drive or you know attraction, things right. like that. Because you can end those things. Well, the way that I would define craving is uh, the delusion: I can't be happy until I get. Okay. Desire is I want. Yeah. And I can renounce this desire. Craving is like this driving yeah. uh, feeling of like I have to have it. Like when we have to have the drink or the drug, that craving. Not just, uh, oh, I saw a beer commercial and the desire for a cold one arose and I totally dismissed it. Right. Got it. For wholeness. You were going to say about Some Buddhist uh, uh, ideas about what's going on in our, yeah, in our world. Because I really want to know. Something I'm really interested in. And, and by okay. the way, let's let's give all the plugs to your stuff right now too. Well, he's got list. the meditation center. We're we're switching back and forth. Refuge is more than one thing. It's this ongoing meditation, uh, really wonderful thing where you can drop in and just be taught meditation. Melrose and Heliotrope. Okay. So, um, and then there's the treatment center that's also there which upstairs. Is where? That's place. where Louisa works. Oh, nice. Yeah. Fantastic. So uh, let me let me give the the breakdown. Um, there is against the stream Buddhist meditation society. That oh, that's has, what it's called. It's not called refuge. It's not. The thing so on the cover. Against the stream Buddhist against meditation stream. society. We have two centers in Los Angeles, one in San Francisco, and about twenty meditation groups around the country that are affiliated with Against the Stream. Then there's refugerecovery.org, which is a non-12-step, Buddhist-based, peer-led you know, recovery group. And there's over 100 meetings around the country. It's free. It's peer-led. It's, most of the people that are doing it are doing 12 steps and Buddhism. Uh, would you Some of the it? people are using it as a total alternative. The people that are 12-step resistant, they say, I don't want to hear about God. Buddhism offers a spiritual practice that's not God-based. It, it would, is it better? Best practice. I may be asking an improper question, but once you're sober, <laughs> like not using, because I imagine early on it'd be very hard to do this kind of work. No, we're, the I mean, it's not working right. No, we're getting people. We have a detox, you know. So then the third piece is we have a treatment center. Okay. We bring people into detox, residential, outpatient, sober living. We do the whole thing, and there's people all over who are showing up 
in active addiction to refuge recovery and learning meditation from the beginning. When they're in detox with us, they do meditation from the oh, beginning. God, that must be impossible. It's, it's not so impossible. Um, you know, so many people say that, but actually, you know, would they do it? We give them instructions. Yeah. And, you know, I, b- before I opened my own treatment center, I worked at another treatment center for a year because I wanted to work with people in detox because I had the same question, Drew. I was yeah. like, are the people in the beginning going to be able to do it? And the truth is they're fidgety in the first couple of weeks. Two weeks in, they're starting to settle. A month in, they're starting to settle. Three months in, they're saying, I really get this. You know, and we're having people for you know, three to six months, if possible, to stay with us. So there's Against the Stream, there's the meetings, there's the treatment center. I have a couple of other organizations too. I also have a nonprofit um, called the Mind Body Awareness Project that goes into juvenile halls and teaches wow. uh, adolescents mindfulness meditation because that's where I learned it, right? I started meditating when I was that. locked up as a teen. And so for the last 15 years, and Against the Stream and, and MBA, Mind Body Awareness Project, are connected Do you now. have a personal life? What the fuck is up? Are you doing all those things? Well, I've got a, I got a big team helping me with all of those things. Um, I just felt yeah, exhausted listening. Did you know how much time that is, Drew, to oh, do it. every week? I get it. Yeah. Anyways, but I want to know some some stuff. Just p- our politic in America. What's the Buddhist perspective on our politic? This hateful, divisive non-problem-solving unmindfulness that is our politic in America. What's the Buddhist approach to it? Opt out? Don't be involved? Um, it's a little bit hard for me to answer. The Buddha, you know, for me, there's Buddhism, and Buddhism is a religion, and it's changed so much. And I like to kind of look back on who was Siddhartha Gautama, and what did he do? There was a lot of politics. There was a lot of war yeah, lot of in his time. Yes. And he chose to be engaged. And he would go and he would speak to the different kings, the different warring factions, and he would lecture them on the importance of nonviolence, the importance of kindness, the importance of generosity. So he was very engaged in his life and in his teachings, not just teaching people to meditate, but teaching people to be involved. I, you're, you're touching on something because I feel that the Buddhist community in America has just opted out of the conversation to a certain extent. And, and you don't see see there's never been a buddhist run for president why not well why not no you think, can I don't think, do it <laughs> i don't think our country is quite th- personally i don't think our country's probably quite there yet and um often usually if you're interested in deep spiritual transformation you are a little bit inner focused and somewhat engaged but not maybe so much to want to be a politician you have to want so much power you have to want that kind of power to be the president. So for you know, and then so there's some Buddhist ideas about I think engagement for sure, absolutely being engaged in the politics. It's hard when you feel like I, my choices are bad or worse, and uh, am I voting for the lesser of so two a, evils yeah. or whatever? One of the things that you say, wisdom is cherished in Buddhism. It's not wise to to put your eggs in a basket where you get to choose from worse or worse or you know what it's I mean? hard you know but for my, myself i always vote i always stay engaged you do e- always i never hear you say anything about it i don't speak i don't teach about it that much but i always stay engaged because i just feel like it's part of the you know society that we're in you're and a trump I'm gonna, guy I, I'm you're gonna, a trump guy i'm gonna give a vote 
for uh, what I see as the lesser of, uh, you know, a bunch of bad decisions. Don't you ever wonder that, Drew? Where is the Buddhist voice in politics in America? I've never wondered that. <laughs> it never, never occurred do? to me that it was possible. No. There's no... The, I, I, I wondered why certain minority groups get uh, privileged uh, position in the conversation. I've wondered that. For sure. But, um, but I... I didn't expect a Buddhist to get get all the way in, but but hang on. There's 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 something that occurs to me also that that you said once to me years ago that that it's preoccupied. It's it's I don't say it preoccupied me, but it sort of stayed with me, and I it, it's and I've been curious about it and thinking about it for years and years. I still don't know what quite what to do with it. I'm not even sure if it's right. But you said sometime one time that there's two kinds of people: the people that look in, they think about themselves first, and then go out. Yeah, and there are people that go out and then feel in. Yeah, and that's it, what it, Gloria Scott's the one that taught me that. Did okay. you know Gloria Scott, the the Venice Queen? Her name was. No, I don't or, know her. Um, she was a teacher, and she she taught about that addicts in particular. Are, out, uh, are inwardly inwardly focused. focused yeah and that that somehow you start to have to look at the world and see how you can how and, much you affect it and, and rather than you know how we're always a victim we always caused all this shit and then we didn't what like this is this is a lot worse happened to me and, and I, it occurred to me that I the the codependent which I am I'm almost wondering if there's some mechanism in our brain that we either go one way or the other uh, and there's not a real maybe there's a balance I I don't know but I I am way the other way that that way I don't have a feeling until I it, it starts outside of me <laughs> it's yeah. very weird yeah. the codependency is about all about that right so right. I'm aware of it I can use it and I'm, but but to be first going in it's it seems impossible to me. So it, so that's why I kept asking about the other and outside and stuff right. and, as opposed to in first right. because it's sort of how I'm oriented. Even though I can appreciate connecting to self and stuff, it's just so right. not where I would start. Right. Um, in the in the Buddha's meditation instructions, even like in the mindfulness of the body, yeah. he says, pay attention both inwardly and outwardly. And so both are always given. Pay attention to your own direct experience, but also pay attention to the experience of everyone else around you. So you, you got to balance that. So it, yeah, it's, you know, middle path, yeah. balance, both yeah. inward and outward. I would see what you guys are saying um, as a personality types, yeah. right? There's it, just it the is. kind of, and whether that's conditioned or uh, attachment or styles. It's, it's it's all in there, yeah. Right? It's all you know. So there's just different ways, and you're going to have really extroverted uh, addicts, and you're going to have really introverted but addicts. It's not introvert extrovert. It's really experiencing the self primarily one direction or the other. Yeah, does that make sense? It does, and that's yeah. what I meant by ex- yeah. kind of externally is, focused. Yeah, yeah. 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 Now, okay. The the other thing the Buddha said a saying that I've always loved that seems. To, uh, humble and that is before enlightenment chop wood carry water after enlightenment chop wood carry water what does that exactly mean oh well first of all to school you a little bit bob not a buddha not a quote from the buddha okay (laughs) a common uh japanese saying a, a japanese zen saying um which I, but i like it what the japanese buddhas are pointing to is that actually being awake is very ordinary you you know you you do your duties. Right. You show up for what needs to be done. The chopping the wood, the carrying the water. Uh, there was a Zen teacher who said the modern American update of that is make love, drive freeway. <laughs> 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 and uh, 
um, but uh, but what's being pointed to is that enlightenment or awakening or wisdom, it's not that big of a deal. You don't become right. this like other, you don't no longer have to do your duties. You still have to show up to work. You still have to. Because all, just, all the have to be in power or something greater than is all the attaching to stuff. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. Well, it the, just shifts your perspective the on I, the, the way, duties. The way I see it is there's a spiritual piety to AA that I felt trapped uh, fell into right and i i knew that i was a fraud but everyone you know i knew that i was not healthy and not well but everyone perceived me as healthy and not well and that's well. se- health they, they perceived me as knowing and or wise well. yeah, yeah, or yeah, yeah. and yeah. i knew n- i knew nothing yeah and as that become if as you as i became more aware of that that's when that saying came in and i thought no i need to to get it all right sized and that you know just because you've been sober this amount of time the enlightenment is before you know before before long-term sobriety chop wood carry water after long-term sobriety chop wood carry water to to be right-sized and humble that's how i saw it because i yes. wasn't for years yeah. in aa but and there's I, something even more profound in it which is you're just a human being you just got to carry on you're going to carry on from a different place that's hopefully more, what, awake, happy? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Happy. It's back I to mean, happy again. You can be suffering about yeah. the chopping the wood and the carrying the water, yeah. about what needs to be done. And then you can actually still, and just because you stop suffering about it doesn't mean you don't have to do it anymore. <laughs> Yeah. You still have to yeah. carry on. Just because yeah. you stop suffering doesn't mean you need to, you don't do it. There, there's a, you, what you took away from it a little bit, which is that the doing of the simple thing is important, which I think is in it, in that statement. It's all there uh, is, really. Uh, it, you know, remember what our friend Dr. Farini used to always say, is people need a simple life. Yeah, it's work, healthy. love, play is what this right. guy Farina used to always say. Work, love, play. So equal balance of that and you'll be all right. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that I would get a little bit maybe for me and you out of that uh, that's been a big piece of my life is that, um, you know, the punk rock, the rock and roll style, like just because you're in recovery, just because you're a Buddhist, whatever it is, you don't have to give up the subculture and the music and the lifestyle that you actually enjoy. Yeah. And there's so many people that think like, oh, I'm sober now. I have to get super straight or I have to, you know, and, you know, and you and I are good examples of people who like actually stayed with what, you know, the culture, the subculture, the 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 connection and stayed sober for all these years. Yeah. You can go anywhere and do anything and stay sober. Too. Yeah. That's the thing that I try to teach it's knowing when you can and there is a period of two or three or five years i would say where you probably should be very mindful be careful yeah yeah but after that sky's the limit well it's it's in a weird way artistic and if you if you don't allow people to express that artistic urge what i mean that's a big piece of flourishing again is being creative and that's full recovery it's real recovery Yeah. yeah let's do it you know, Drew, you were asking about kind of getting the new guys meditating. And like yeah. I said, we're doing it right from the beginning. We, I can't get them to. <laughs> well, cause you you brought, because like, they think that you they. Could, if you brought me, yeah, if me, you brought me pusher. in. No, they think that they can get yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they yeah. complain enough. But it's yeah. true. I mean, I've done this everywhere I go, whether I'm teaching in a prison or a detox or. And if you bring me in and I explain it in the right way and say, I've been doing this since I was detoxing yeah. and let's try it. Yeah. And they actually try it. I think that so many of the uh, you know treatment centers or sober people that say, oh no, new people can't meditate because they because they're people that don't meditate themselves. Right, right, right. And 
they don't understand yeah. that actually it's not you don't have to stop your mind it's not this big rarefied experience it's just learning to like tolerate being uncomfortable why did you give people a one minute primer sure on meditation um, so in refuge, we, we say mindfulness, present time awareness, which is as simple as bring your attention to the breath. And you don't have to stop your mind, but let the mind be in the background while directing all of your attention to the sensations of the breath. And then you know, the attention wanders back into the mind. Bring your attention back to the breath over and over and over. So that's one of the initial instructions. The other instruction that we're going to get into with people right away is self-forgiveness is saying the simple sentence to yourself, even though you don't believe it yet, I forgive you as much as I can in this moment. And starting an internal self-forgiveness, compassion practice for people right from the beginning. And then we say alternate every day, 20 minutes of mindfulness, 20 minutes of forgiveness, 20 minutes of mindfulness, so that it starts to heal some of the trauma underlying wounds that were fueling the cravings, you know, by, by tending to the internal pain, hatred, resentment, uh, and then forgiveness gets extended to making amends and offering forgiveness to the people that have hurt us. Mm. So, you know, the, this combination of mindfulness. Ultimately, mindfulness goes beyond breath awareness to a full embodied awareness, the being present with the emotions, with the mind states, and identifying, is my perception of this moment pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? And how am I relating to the pleasant experiences through clinging, <laughs> Mm -hmm. or not clinging through the unpleasant experiences through aversion anger hatred uh, or you know uh, tolerance mercy compassion and then this big thing that bob mentioned earlier what's my relationship to neutrality like can i be bored can i be not stimulated right the i know for myself when I, meditation really started to work and i started to have some peace i was a little disappointed <laughs> i thought it was going to be a bit more exciting uh, yeah i yeah. thought it was going to be a little bit more exciting than just not suffering i have, I have one last question that we got to kind of wrap stuff up but uh, where does love fit into all this because sometimes attachment and yeah. love and connection and love and all this stuff gets yeah. kind of all blurred together um well i don't know i think love is such a big uh, it is a big topic. Topic. Yeah. And, and I mean, I might say something as simple as love is our true nature. That when we remove greed and hatred and delusion, there's a, a natural like feeling children. Like children. of right. care, yeah. of wonder, of, of love for ourselves, yeah. love and appreciation and care, and, and actually for all other beings. Care is an important word. Yeah. Well, that's Thich Nhat Hanh said, love is the care and compassion for self and other. Yeah. Care and compassion for self and other. Yeah. Right? I, I've always liked that. What, what version is Thich Nhat Hanh? Thich Nhat Hanh is Vietnamese I don't Zen. even say his name right. It's uh, Thich Nhat he's, Hanh. He's, he, I mean, he's so <laughs> cool, right? Because he's Vietnamese Zen, and there's differences in the different uh, northern schools of Buddhism and southern schools, uh, the Theravada or the Mahayana. But the way Vietnam sits... It, Imagine between, the trauma they've been through. Oh, yeah. listen. A, a lot of this Buddhist philosophy came out of horrible, horrible stuff. Yes. Right? I mean, yeah. this is... But you finish. Yeah. Oh, so I was just saying, the, you know, geographically, the where Vietnam sits between China and Cambodia and Thailand, Cambodia and Thailand are southern school, Theravadan. China is northern school, Mahayana. So Thich Nhat Hanh, Vietnamese Zen, is this real mixture of some of the 
Chinese traditions and some of the Thai Burmese traditions. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of what he says, I relate to a lot. I like a li- and I, I like, like a it a lot, lot more than some of the Chinese or the Tibetan, which kind of, it goes a little too... Um, Rules and rags. Yeah, a, a little too um, too much devotional practice sometimes That's in Buddhism what I mean, for rules, me. Yeah. Rules and yeah. rags yeah. to the... But I, you know, there's all these interesting things. America doesn't know much about Buddhism. So many interesting yeah. things. I, they asked the Dalai Lama at the Wiltern Theater one time I was there, and they said, what is wrong with the world? And he said, lack of insight. Uh. There you go. You're not paying attention to the right <laughs> things. I, I think I, that we're... That's a, ca- that's a nice way of saying people are stupid. <laughs> I, I, but, but, well, yeah. But the, but the care is ringing in my head a bit, too, because they don't care enough to have insight. They got to want to have insight first. Care and concern for the well-being of self. Well, listen, it's really a privilege. We should do this again. Yeah, happy to. I'm very, very happy to be and on. There's doing good things down there. Yeah, we got to get a show over here. I want to come on when Shelly comes on. I want to. I want to do the panel with Shelly. Okay. Does Shelly know your stuff? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. And Shelly does some of the refuge recovery stuff at PRC. She'll introduce it to the clients and be cool. All right. Well. Uh, let's give your stuff again. The book is called uh, you know, Refuge Recovery Book. I, I assume we can put this up on yeah, our website, please. whatever, get it on Amazon. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Refuge Recovery it. Treatment Centers. So, But if they Google Refuge Recovery, they'll find the meetings, they'll find the treatment it, centers. I don't want to brag, but Drew, let us brag for a second. There's you and a me? couple of kids that have had, had Noah on one side of their shoulder and me on the other, and awesome. they always get sober. It's awesome. And the, and but see, here's my problem. There's only so many of us, and I'm not able to teach it. I was able to teach Shelly and Louisa, and we were able to work no, as listen, a team. It, this it's is so a, this hard is the, to teach this, Noah, to make other uses. This is the conundrum of of the day as it as it pertains to drug treatment. Yeah. Is the talent of the professional is yeah. so lean? There's yeah. so few. It's true. And and it's and I would even argue that it's you can't you can't teach you guys. You guys are made in the well, earth. it's the same thing <laughs> as, as good cop, bad cop. So Noah tells him something, no, no, right? No, but no, watch, no. Noah tells well, him something. You and I did that shit all the time. I know. So Noah tells him something. I tell him the same thing, and they go, see, Bob, it's so cool, and he's yeah. able to explain yeah. it. I go, it's the same fucking thing yeah, Noah said. Uh, but but <laughs> I tell you, I would go further with that. I say that you need a bunch of people that say things, the same things in different ways, that's, that finally somebody can hear yes. a certain personality yes. or a certain approach, whatever. But you need but, the humility to say, I said the same thing he's saying, and a lot of treatment professionals aren't doing it. Yeah, no, it's me, no, baby. It's fucking me, baby. <laughs> it's all about me. But but um, I got off. What was I saying? Oh, one last question. I have another question. It, there's a lot in this book, I'm sure. Um, are you like me, though, that you really have to, people to really get it, have to connect with somebody on this? Or a group or something because a group is part of it. Yeah, it needs. So. Yeah, it, it needs him. to be a group. But the point is, it's not people, reading the book is not going to make you. Let's give an example. No, but reading... I wanted somebody, a friend of mine, to learn the stream. Uh, the, I forget the name of against it. the stream. Against the stream. And then somebody else was teaching. I said, No, 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 we gotta oh. get to Noah. You know what I mean? So I play it through yeah. it too. Well, but get but reading the book will will get you started. Yes. Right? Okay. That's and then get attached yeah, I mean, with I, them. I, I yeah. feel like it does it, there does need to be a connection with yeah. people, um, with a community for sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm. I don't want to have uh, be the kind of person that people have to connect with. One of the things I've been doing for years is training other teachers oh, good. and training. And we're, you know, we're going to do a facilitator certification for refuge recovery. But what I find is, I train a hundred people. Yeah, ten of them are good. Right. 
course. But that's okay. That's like if I can produce but that's 10 what, people that are good, that's great. That's what talent is. Yes. Yeah. These are talented Well, people. and I'm breaking the rule because the kids that were helping the last three years, I'm saying they need to become counselors because there's no jobs anyways. They might as well. It used to be, oh, no, you shouldn't do that until you have five years or whatever. No, these kids who ha- are naturally therapeutic and have gone through this hell and out the other side, you can just feel it about Jay, for instance. He's just so different. I don't know what it is. You can't explain it. You can't describe it. But it was a little bit of you, a little bit of me, had a really wonderful change in him. And I told him he should be a counselor, and he looked at me like... Well, there's a lot of treatment centers <laughs> that are putting people through the KD or KDAC yeah. training right from the beginning, which yeah. I think it gives them a good education. That's mm-hmm. sort of interesting to give them that education, whether or not they should be treatment Working professionals. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. another question. All right, just we, good community members is what I'm talking yeah. about. we got to wrap it up, Bob. Compassion. Compassion, care. Take go. refuge. Take there refuge. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Soft as summer rain against my skin. You and I should see the world today. Go outside, blow the cobwebs away. Hey! Darwin's finches have the right idea. Adapt and change to suit your atmosphere. Cause girl, we've been tipped up in our feet too long.
unmerited, randomly. When you give, you gain. You're with love, it's the same. A smile is a gift given unmerited, randomly. When you give, you gain. You're with love, it's the same.